This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome back to Mortification of Spin. Once again, it's just Todd Pruitt and I, Amy Bird, me, Amy Bird, Mm. doing this podcast. Carl is on his celebrity tour with Paul Tripp, I think. I think so. And and Carl's working on a mustache. Yeah. So we're looking forward to seeing his new look. Absolutely. And um, maybe posting a picture of, you know, all the paraphernalia that's out there advertising the celebrity tour. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I think that that would be important. That was good. good <laughs> well, well, Amy, we've got some listener questions. We do. So we have two that we're going to try to tackle yep. today yep. for this. And thing. before we get to those, actually, there are three because one of our, I guess we call them fans. <laughs> anyway, one of our, <laughs> our listeners yeah, uh, sent in this question, and I think we ought to deal with it. It is this, who is losing hair faster, you oh. or Carl? And I assume that he meant you, Amy, right? <laughs> And I would say Carl's losing his hair faster than Amy is. So I'm glad we settled. And that that depends on who had more hair to begin with. That is true. That is true. Okay. So we have two questions we want to deal with today. This question is from a lady and she asks Amy and I this. You and Amy both have Southern Baptist backgrounds. Was there one particular defining moment when you knew you were Presbyterian slash Reformed? and no longer Baptist? Or was it a more subtle process? So Amy, that's the question. Was there kind of one big 
defining moment or was it a longer, drawn out, more subtle process? For me, it was definitely a longer, mm-hmm. subtle process. I grew up not only Southern Baptist, but in a dispensational mm-hmm. Baptist church. So very Arminian. And I first was exposed to Calvinism, like what it really was, when I was reading a Jonathan Edwards sermon. Okay. And so that was when I first started investigating Calvinism. And I would say that's what I embraced first. And then my husband and I were, you know, early stages of our marriage. And we were at a Southern Baptist church that did affirm. Well, not everyone, not all the leaders did. But the pastor and some of the leaders affirmed Calvinism. Doctrines of grace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I noticed more about the doctrines of grace Mm -hmm. and the solas, you know, and all of that and really embraced all of that and had a better understanding. And then we moved. And when we moved, we were looking for a quote unquote reformed Baptist church at this Mm -hmm. time. And it's funny, like we're in Martinsburg, West Virginia, and Baptist preachers had never even heard of that word. They were all very, you know, uh, kind of Bible churches. And um, so that was interesting. So we ended up at a PCA church, but my husband, I would say, was more Presbyterian than me at that time because Mm. he affirmed infant baptism and I did not. Right. And that's, that was the last thing for me, really. And I, did not. That was a process. I was pregnant with our third child when I really was bothered more mm-hmm. by it. And, um, and I really had to understand covenant theology right? to understand baptism. Right. And yep. so through that process, and I'd already embraced and loved the Presbyterian government mm-hmm. <laughs> over the Baptist, but right. it was, you know, that last thing was baptism and, right. um, You know, I thought I would stay a Baptist in that way until I really, as soon as I understood covenant theology, it really all opened up to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my road was similar. I was a Southern Baptist pastor and had come to embrace the doctrines of grace. J.I. Packer was huge for me. I had read Knowing God, which led me to read some other things by Packer, which then from Packer, I started reading Puritans and John Calvin. Mm -hmm. And so I, I became convinced of the doctrines of grace, but utterly dismayed as to why anybody would baptize a baby because you know, clearly only Roman Catholics do that. Right. And well, over a process of time, you begin to see that it's very hard to divorce the doctrines of grace from the larger framework of covenant theology right. and, and namely that continuity of the mm. covenants. And so I just began to study it in earnest and uh, became convinced about there being greater continuity than lesser which our Baptist brothers and sisters hold to. It was a period of years before I I affirmed infant baptism. But once I did, I became utterly convinced of it, utterly convinced. And it became very, very clear to me for a whole lot of reasons. But it was only after that then that I became convinced of Presbyterian church government. Not that I was, huh. had been against Presbyterian church government. I just hadn't studied it very much. I had gone on to be a lead teaching pastor at a non-denominational church in part because of my changing views on baptism. Right. But it was the experience of being in a non-denominational church and the circus that that can be mm-hmm. that I started studying polity and church government. Right. And I went to Amazon and got a copy of the PCA's book of church order mm. and began to study it. And honestly, people don't believe me when I say this, 
Well, actually, former Baptists believe me when I say this, but people who've been in the PCA for a long time are raised, they don't believe me, but it's true. Uh-huh. I began to read the Book of Church Order, and, and it was like a devotional experience. And, and I think part of it was because I had been sunk into so much insanity when it came to church polity and, and the lack of good church government, that reading this, even though there's some ways that the PCA's BCO can be improved on, but to see that kind of thoughtful ordering of things and the protection that that affords right. to churches, to pastors, to the laity, as well as I just thought it gave a better reflection of the pattern we see in Acts mm-hmm. than church autonomy, far better reflection. Right of what we see in the book of Acts and what we see modeled in several of the epistles that I became convinced. And uh, the Lord opened up an opportunity for me to come into the PCA. But for me, it was the church polity thing that was the last domino to fall. And it was through that experience that I learned the importance, the real importance of church polity and became convinced of Presbyterianism. My husband and I really learned about that at our last Baptist church which we loved the community there. But like I said, they had a lead team. They didn't have elders and um, they were divided on, you know, something like doctrines of grace. And so it was very easy at that time because it was a church plant for a new worship leader to kind of insert himself and start imposing all those emergent Mm. church ideas. And there was no way to address it. Right. There was not, you know, my husband and I were just, so baffled at how easily everything fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things I say about Presbyterianism is that when it's actually done faithfully, it works really well. And I I will also say it's slow going and it can be tedious and thank God for that. Right. Because it really prevents what happens is, is people who have a real kind of entrepreneurial spirit, they'll get frustrated with it. Mm-hmm. But the deliberateness that it requires, the plotting that it requires is a real gift and a protection uh, right. to the church. And uh, those within Presbyterian churches should give thanks for the fact that the process of Presbyterianism requires churches, sessions, pastors to slow down and be deliberate and to go through very deliberate processes. I love the fact that every month when I walk into a session meeting, there is a very clear way that those meetings are to be held, a very clear way of, of what can be done, and what can't be done in those meetings. Right. And that's a comfort to me. Right. And it should be for the whole church. So the lesson here, I think, Amy, is that if you're not Presbyterian, you ought to be. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, that's I think that's what we're saying. Anyway, anyway, hope that's helpful. <laughs> now, we have a second question. And this one appealed to both of us immediately. And here it is. What is the biblical meaning of redemption? That word gets used in ways like, quote, redeeming your workplace or redeeming culture, end quote. How should we understand this concept? So he's asking, first of all, what do we mean biblically? What does the Bible mean when it references redemption? And then given that, what do we make of some of these statements like, you know, right. redeeming the workplace, redeeming the culture, redeeming the arts. This was a uh, huge question for me mm-hmm. when I was a mom of young children, okay. because there were so many pressures to participate in Christianized activities in this redeeming the culture idea. I really think gets placed on housewife shoulders. Mm-hmm. It is what actually led me to write and be an author in the first place was wrestling with those ideas. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Well, 
obviously, you know, redemption is a key word and a key doctrine in scripture. In fact, if you just go to an online Bible and do a simple search of the words redeem, redeemed, redemption, you'll get tons of hits, Old and New Testament. First of all, redeemed literally means to buy back. It's this Mm -hmm. idea of purchasing something. Transaction going on. There you go. And the word redeemed is used a ton of times in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And then in the New Testament, we see, for instance, Luke chapter one, verse 68, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Galatians three, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from what? From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. There you have imputation and substitution. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Revelation chapter 14, verse 3. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Revelation chapter 14. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the lamb. And we could go on, but it's this idea that Christ has purchased us. God has purchased us out of the world. He's purchased us out of slavery to sin. He's purchased us out of slavery to the evil one. I would also say it involves making something holy and Mm -hmm. so set apart for the worship of God, nothing less because when we talk about redeeming the culture, what is it that we mean? So that's my question, Amy. When I hear this statement, redeeming the culture, which of course Mm -hmm. became all the rage several years ago Mm -hmm. through the PCA. You're welcome, everybody. Um, Anyway, (laughs) my question was then, and it remains, what does that mean? And I'm not trying to be obtuse here. And maybe I'm just showing just how completely tragically unhip I am, but I still don't know what that means to redeem the culture. Right. I don't know what it means. And I mean, clearly, you were reading from Revelation there. Christ isn't going to come back to a redeemed culture. Right. Creation is, in fact, groaning. Yep. We need to be made new creations to be right. redeemed. Right. That's and, a great point. That is yes. a great point, because when we talk about redeeming the culture, uh, actually, no, we're not redeeming the culture. In fact, what's going to happen is Christ is going to come and return and destroy it all and then recreate mm-hmm. a new heaven and a new earth. Right. Not just redeeming this old thing or, you know, kind of refitting it. It goes to the fire first. Now, I know that we're kind of embarrassed by those doctrines of judgment, but that's what it is. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So I've really appreciated Living in God's Two Kingdoms by David Van Drunen because he really shows how in the Old Testament, you know, we have this cultural mandate in Genesis and it has both a spiritual and a physical element to it, mm-hmm. really. And then we see it reestablished with Noah, but with Noah, we see that there are no spiritual elements to the mandate given to him. God tells Noah and his sons to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So, and he also reestablishes justice. Whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God, he made man. Genesis 9, 6 and Genesis 9, 1, I just read. So there's no redemptive element to this formal establishment now of the common kingdom, which God is ruling, not in a redemptive way. He rules in a redemptive way in his church, Mm. but it's more in a a providential rule that we see as creator and maintainer. Right. 
in the world. Yeah. We see redemption in the church. We see redemption among the people of God. Right. And there's an ordained means of redemption. Right. That exactly. He gives us. Primarily exactly. through the preached word and the sacraments. Right, right. So redemption, it's biblically, it's very difficult to justify using the term redemption in this general way applied to the culture. Right. Yeah. So it's like when we were talking about gospel-centered cupcakes, right. um, we're not redeeming the world of baking. It's a common grace given to us. Yeah. We can enjoy a cupcake and give thanks to the Lord <laughs> as right. we're eating it as Christians. Yeah. But um, Christ has not given us holy cupcakes, you know, right. on the new heavens and the new earth, everything will be set <laughs> apart for the worship of the Lord. Everything will be holy, but my coffee, my softball team, you know, whatever it is, isn't yeah. set apart as holy. Right. Yeah. That does not happen this side of eternity. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so really, I think what happens is, is that with all of this talk about redeeming the culture, redeeming the workplace, um, et cetera, redeeming the arts, I think what ends up happening is we end up cheapening uh, what what redemption Mm -hmm. actually is. Yeah. And the gospel, because the gospel becomes our good works. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's like what we're doing. And the gospel, again, is something that needs to be announced. Right. Right. I mean, what we see in the Bible is that the church relates to the world in terms of witness to the gospel. We proclaim the gospel to a dying world. I don't see a pattern in scripture or a command in scripture that we go out as God's co-redeemers to redeem the culture. I can't find it. And it troubles me greatly that there are so many in my own denomination that continue to use this language. Yeah. And Christ came to establish a church. Right. That's what he came to establish. And so um, even though we look forward to a new heavens and a new earth where everything will be holy, Mm -hmm. and even though there are very important implications of the gospel to the way that we live right now, the way we treat the earth and the way we treat one another. And for example, caring for the poor, you know, that's something that both believers and unbelievers do, but it's only... It's only in the church that we see through the redemptive aspects of the church that we all recognize ourselves to be poor, right? And we're given abundantly the riches of Christ and all of his blessings. So, you know, I think we need to keep the focus on actual redemption, what Christ is doing in the church, what Christ is doing in the world. There are certainly implications of how we live Mm -hmm. in the culture, but we're kidding ourselves if we think we're redeeming it. Exactly. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And this is, to me, this is important because I think that all of this talk about redeeming the culture has seriously undermined not only the biblical concept of redemption, but it has distracted a lot of otherwise good churches from what the mission of the church actually is. Right. And so, exactly right. you know, I cannot tell you what it makes me want to do when I get on the websites of certain, you know, reformed churches and look at their mission statement and they don't say anything about Jesus or the gospel. They right. say things like, we're Activism. here to redeem the city. Mm-hmm. It's all about me. Exactly. And I mean, you know, Christians, we're not redeeming the culture, but That's we right. can rejoice in the fact that Christ has redeemed us. Yes. And then we can live in gratitude yes. for that. Love it. Spread that. Yes. 
There you go, people. Now, I hope you are no longer confused, but I, th- this is serious because we don't want to undermine redemption and we don't want to distract from the mission of the church. And so this matters. And so if, you know, you might want to ask, you know, your church leadership, if, if much is being made about we're here to redeem the arts or redeem the culture, you might want to really press them on that and ask, listen, you know, what does that mean? Um, and, uh, I think those are worthy questions. So thanks to you who have asked and continue to ask us good questions. We've got a catalog, as Amy mentioned earlier, a growing catalog of some questions we want to deal with and, uh, please feel free. You know how to reach us through social media and we'd be happy to continue to, uh, answer some of these questions. Well, we do have uh, a premium for you. If you would like to go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you can register to win some mp3s these will be mailed to you on two discs and they're a series of excellent addresses from the philadelphia conference on reformed theology a couple of years uh, the pcrt addressed the doctrine of redemption and some of the speakers on those mp3s include james montgomery boyce j.i packer sinclair ferguson so the content will be excellent And we will make some of those available for free to some of our listeners, whoever gets there first to mortificationofspin.org and registers for those. We'd be happy to send a few of those out to you. And please consider making a financial uh, contribution to the Mortification of Spin, to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, so that uh, we can continue to offer this service to you. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. Am I still sounding distant or scratchy? You don't sound great. Okay, how about now?